So much symbolism that night in Egypt. So much being taught. A lamb without defect. Don't try to use a crippled or a diseased one. A perfect lamb. Reminding us that Jesus, our Passover lamb, was perfect. The only sinless human being to live on this earth. A perfect life lived as our substitute so that it might count for us before God. The lamb was to be slaughtered, a life given. Jesus gave his life as the purchase price for our freedom. The blood was to be painted on the door frames of the houses. And when God would come through Egypt and strike down every firstborn male, he would pass over the houses where he saw the blood. The blood of the lamb would save the Israelites from destruction. We have been marked with the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. His innocent suffering and death saves us. It redeems us from sin and death and Satan's power. The meal was to be eaten quickly. They were to eat it, dressed for the journey, cloak tucked into their belt, sandals on their feet, staff in their hand. We, too, are to live our lives as strangers here ready for the day when the Lord will call us home. So much symbolism, so much being taught. And it was a night that was to be remembered. Welcome again to the God's Word, Our Great Heritage podcast. We've looked at the the first part of that great event in the book of Exodus, the Passover. We'll continue our study at chapter 12, verse 14. Let's begin with a prayer. O Christ, Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Christ, Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Christ, Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Grant us your peace. Amen. Verse 14. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days, you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. This was a day to be remembered. They ate that first Passover meal in a hurry, but subsequent observances were to last for seven days. This lasting ordinance, this liturgy, if you will, of the Passover was to enable future generations to participate in the event. These future generations were to know and participate in the great event that had won the freedom of their people and therefore their freedom. As we read these words, we can't help but thinking of our Savior's words when he instituted the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. And of Paul's words, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In the sacred meal of Holy Communion, we recall what Christ did for us on Calvary's cross. 
in the bread and wine, and together with them in the Lord's body and blood, we receive the assurance that our freedom has been won. The Israelites were to set aside their work for seven days, and they were to eat bread made without yeast. Verse 17. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses. And anyone, whether foreigner or native-born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. The bread in the Passover meal was to be unleavened, bread made without yeast. That night in Egypt, it was because the meal was to be eaten in a hurry. There was no time to wait for the bread to rise before baking it. But as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the yeast at Passover symbolized sinfulness and moral corruption. It is a reminder to us that our new life in Christ is to be one of repentance. Sin is not to be hidden or cherished, but rather to be confessed. Paul writes, let's keep the festival. He's referring to our celebration of what Christ has done for us. Let's keep the festival not with the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread of sincerity and truth. Verse 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. The lamb represented the Israelite firstborn sons. The lamb died in their place. In this way, the Lord was teaching vicarious or substitutionary atonement. Someone, Jesus, would die in our place, that is, vicariously, as our substitute, in order to make atonement, that is, in order to pay the price necessary to make us right with God. The wages of sin, of our sin, is death. But someone else, a substitute, Jesus, would die in our place. The Redeemer's life is the payment that sets us free. The blood was applied to the doorframe using the hyssop plant. Hyssop was a leafy plant that could be dipped into the basin of blood and then used as a paintbrush. Hyssop was often used in Old Testament purification rites. Purge me with hyssop, David writes in Psalm 51, and I will be clean. It must have seemed like a bloodbath that night in Goshen, where the Israelites lived, as the blood of the lambs flowed. 
The real bloodbath, however, occurred on Golgotha's hill as the blood of the Lamb flowed for us. Verse 24. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean? Then tell them, tell them what the Lord has done for us. What do you tell your children? What do you tell them about money, about friends? about marriage and family, about movies and TV and choices and entertainment, about drinking, about honesty and integrity? What do you tell them about worship, about Jesus, about Bible study and prayer? What do you teach them? In this godless culture in which you and I live today, what is shaping our children In this godless culture where Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking to devour our children, how are we protecting them? Teach them. Teach them what God has done. This is why we bring our children to Jesus. This is why we have special festivals and holidays to teach our children the mighty deeds of the Lord, how he has saved us and how he is with us still. We're told, then the people bowed down and worshipped. What a great celebration it must have been. Their years of slavery and being oppressed were about to end. Verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was a loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. Previous plagues had some connection with nature, gnats or frogs or hail. This time, the Lord himself struck down the firstborn in Egypt, and it is devastating. The word, all ties back to Exodus chapter 1. There Pharaoh gave the order to throw all the Hebrew baby boys into the Nile. The Egyptians had been warned. In chapter 4, the Lord had said to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. Let my son go. If you refuse to let him go, I will kill your firstborn son. Now, ten plagues later, the Lord passes through Egypt striking down the firstborn sons. In his grace, he passed over the Israelite homes, where the blood of the Lamb marked the doorframe. Events will now move rapidly, but that is next time. Again, I want to mention the resources I've leaned on in preparing these podcasts and the book of Exodus. 
mostly Professor Ernst Wendland's People's Bible Commentary on Exodus, and then also Professor Reed Lessing's devotional commentary entitled Deliver Us. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.